Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Fellas, welcome back to Man Challenge. Again, Sam Reader, Chris Burke, and myself joining you guys from afar. Second week of our semester, second week of our Unleashed series, where we look at uh, characters in the book of Acts specifically and and see how God unleashed them to be the, the person they were called to be. This week, we're looking at a man named Paul. Last week, we looked at Peter. Uh very, very excited about this. We'll be in Acts 22, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, Acts 22. Uh, while you do so, I'll contextualize a little bit of what we're, we're walking into this week. So um, throughout the book of Acts, Paul is one of the main characters. He goes on several missionary journeys, collects a good amount of money for the church back in Jerusalem, takes it back to them. And on his trip to Jerusalem, he is falsely accused Um, by a group of Jews and is dragged out of the temple, is being beaten, is meant to be killed. Some Roman guards intervene and they are on his way. They're they're taking him to to prison, essentially, in order that he might be put on trial before the Romans. And he says, Paul says to the Romans, "Um, let me speak to these people who who just beat the trash out of me, who are trying to kill me. I've got some things to tell them. And by God's sovereign hand, the Roman uh, guard allows Paul to speak to his people. And so that's what we are arriving at Acts 22, verse 1, this week. Um, And we're going to learn. We're going to see how Paul went from attempting to earn God's love to receiving God's grace and and call on his life. So excited to jump into it. Burke, would um, would you read those first five verses for us? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, chapter 22 of Acts, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Mason told me how to pronounce that. <laughs> but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I think he told me what to say. Gamaliel. Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As as also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Hmm. So, He starts, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. It clarifies that he was speaking in Aramaic instead of uh, Greek, meaning these people could understand him in in a unique way. And he says, listen now to my defense. So again, he is in front of a group of people who had beat him and sought to kill him. And he says, I want to defend myself. I want to give my testimony. And that Greek word there is actually apologia where we get our term apologetics, which Sam and Burke are both uh, gigantic fans of. And his defense of the faith isn't the second law of thermodynamics. It's what we're going to see 
his story. It's, it's the work that Christ did in him. But he starts, there's two things I want us to catch in these first five verses. One is, is very, um, it's explicit. It's clear Paul was making it known. The second is implicit. It's something implied by Paul. But the first thing, what Paul is telling these people who tried to beat and kill him is this. I am just like you. He looks at the people who, who tried to kill him and empathizes. Walk with me through it here. He says, I am a Jew. That's who the group of people who were beating him up were Jews. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, an intellectual city. But I was brought up in this city, Jerusalem, which was the capital of the Jewish faith. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. If you followed along in our Acts reading plan this week, uh, you met Gamaliel, a very wise rabbi, but even um, beyond his wisdom in the New Testament, was respected and admired as an intergenerational uh, source of wisdom. So, so Paul's saying, I, I learned under that brilliant man. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors, our ancestors. I, I know the books you read. I know the laws you follow. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. He even gives us some more context on this over in verses 19 and 20, where he says, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. When the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I'm just like you guys. You were beating me up because of my belief in this. Guess what I did? Again, if you guys read the Acts reading plan this week in Acts 7, you read about the martyrdom of Stephen. And who's there approving of his his killing is Paul says Saul then says Paul here that's the same person those are his his Jewish name and his Greek name Saul and Paul but Paul's saying essentially I was born and raised in the right place I was educated in the right institutions I knew the right people I did the right things I am just like you I strived to please God with the same amount of fervor as you did that's how like you I am I understand you and before we and it would be and Mason, wouldn't it be it, it wouldn't it be uh, akin to him saying I coached under Nick Saban to say that he studied under uh, Gamaliel? hundred percent. Yeah. That, that same kind of deal. Like, exactly. Guys, like that. That's how cool I am. Right. Yeah. Uh, some might say I coached under. I don't know. Dabo coached. I was under Nick. I guess that so doesn't. Not, not John Calipari for sure. <laughs> they wouldn't say that. But Boy, anyway, you're in trouble. I'm praying for you, Cats fans. We are hurting right now. But he says to these people, and I want us to apply this before we move on, guys, because there are some of us, myself included, who we try very, very hard. We strive ceaselessly. We incessantly pursue growth. But, but somehow there's this sense of restlessness. Paul's saying to these Jews and to you and me, I get it. I've, I've worked the relationships. I've done the right things. I've followed ardently. I've got this arduous pursuit. Look how zealous I am. And we can even dress it up in Christianity. But the explicit thing Paul is saying to these Jews is, I'm just like you. The implicit thing, the thing that is, is implied as we see his um, coming to Christ in the rest of these verses, is that uh, he couldn't, I can't, and you can't earn God's love. We, we can't do it. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to wrestle with, especially with those of us who are achiever-oriented. 
but your attempt at being a good husband, a good father, a good coworker, a good man, the best person you can be, your striving is not what motivates God's love for you. It isn't. So Sam, that's, that's the negative side of it. Walk us into the positive side. Two questions. One, why was Paul's religious fervor, his efforts to please God, not enough to earn God's love? Question, mm. question two, what does that tell us about God's heart for us? What does it tell us about God's heart for us? That's number two. Um, so I'd say that Paul grew up in a, a religious setting or construct where everything centered on the law, uh, a list of things to do and not do, and it revolved around a sacrificial system. So adhere to this law, you mess up, something's got to die. You, you do a sacrifice. So over and over and over and over, that's the cycle that he grew up in, he lived in, that every time you mess up, you need another atonement, another sacrifice to pay the, to pay the price, the penalty. In Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. Um, Paul was zealous for this. He believed it wholeheartedly. He was raised by the best. And unbeknowing to him, the perfect sacrifice in Jesus came. And, and, and by his blood, that atoned for all past, present, and future sins of all who have put their faith in him. Paul missed that. Paul was so fixated on his own ideology and the way that he saw things, he was willing to get violent and go after people to preserve his, his ideology. We've seen a lot of that play out in uh, modern-day America the past year, really, on all sides of the spectrum. And so sometimes we can get so fixated on what we want and our own agendas that we miss Jesus. Uh, but I guess the second part of that is what that tells us about God is, uh, boy, isn't he relational? Isn't he merciful that Paul is on the way to Damascus and Jesus steps in the way and intervenes and still chooses a dude who totally missed it and beyond just missed it, persecuted the early church. Um, what a patient, loving, merciful, forgiving, relational God that we serve. Yes, yeah, so I think it's Amen. it's beautiful but difficult to, to see. We are we are so sinful that even our pursuit of God is tainted by sin. Mm. But Jesus is so loving that he intercedes to your point, Sam, even in our sinful pursuit of God. So uh, you mentioned this Damascus Road experience. Let's read about it. Verse 6 uh, through 11 here. It says, about noon, as I came near Damascus, Paul's continuing telling his story. He said, I was, I was just like you. I was on my way to Damascus. Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What should I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So a couple big questions that Paul asked here that I want Burke to, to unpack for us in one second. But quickly, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The voice of Jesus says to Saul, who's persecuting Christians, 
Why do you persecute me? Paul says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are, you are persecuting. And I want just for a brief second, men, in a world of suffering, we have news of um, attempted suicides, of suicides, of, of loss of life through sickness, of, of um, job loss, of innumerable st struggling men in our world right now. Catch this really quick. The persecution of the church, the suffering of the church in the New Testament era, Jesus says, why, why are you persecuting me? That's because in Colossians and in 1 Corinthians, Jesus says he's the head and that the church is the body, that believers are the body. So whatever suffering you're in, take a moment to apply that. He knows and is suffering with you. Even more so, he has suffered infinitely on your behalf. Moving on, Burke. Who are That's you? Good. What shall I do? Two enormous questions. Uh, why do those questions matter to every guy who opens up a Bible? Yeah, I mean, you know, it reminds me of what Jesus asked the disciples, right? Like, you know, who do the people say that I am? And, and they kind of answer, and then he asks them straight up, who, who do they say that he is? And really, I mean, no hyperbole, that, that's the most important question every human has to answer. Who Who is Jesus, right? Because if he is... And that's what Saul needs to know, right? Like, are you the dude they say walked out of that tomb? Yep, that's me. Well, life can no longer be normal, mm -hmm. right? If we're conscious of, of what we're asking and intentional about seeking that answer, and we come to the conclusion that Jesus of Nazareth walked out of the tomb, well, then I better ask him what I'm supposed to do, mm -hmm. which is exactly... Uh, what he does next. And the reality is in anything in our world, any new belief is always associated with immediate action. Right? I mean, shallow, like new diet. What do we do? We immediately change the way we eat. New workout plan. We immediately change uh, our physical activity, right? Uh, new job. We immediately, uh, you know, have a new schedule, start a new routine. So when, when, Paul essentially realizes who he's in front of, which is the Lord of the universe. He wisely asks, all right, well, now what do you want me to do? You know? Um, and so, again, I think we would constantly, really daily, uh, do well to, to follow that model, which is, you know, Lord, what, what do you have me do today? How, how, how can I... How can I move in a direction that is pleasing to you and that reflects you each and every day? But certainly for those men that are pondering these questions for the first time, who is Jesus and what what has he called you to do? Which, you know, kind of reminds us of last week, right? When Peter dropped the mic on, on uh, Messiah and Lord and they're like, all right, now what do we do, right? No. Repent and be baptized. So it's good, Bert. It's um, as guys – who are quick to, who are doers by nature. We want to quick, quickly move to, okay, what do I do? You, you are, you're going to do the wrong thing if you don't know who he is. And that's for mm -hmm. believer and unbeliever alike. You need to spend time knowing him in relationship. We don't, Christianity is not a belief in a thing or uh, a group. It's a belief in a, in a person, a God who, uh, whom we know. And when we know him, then we're able to do the coinciding, the, mm. the things that he would, he would call us to. Uh, next verse is Sam. Will you read him 12 through 16? Yep. Uh, and one Ananias 
a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Wow. So he, again, Paul's talking to Jews here, but he's saying, so here's what happened. I, blinding light on the side of the road. I walk blind into a town, meet a guy in an eyes. Here's what he tells us or tells me, uh, Burke, what immediately stands out to you in those, those verses? Well, I just love, I love the language there. Uh, you know, Paul or Luke makes mention that he was a devout observer, right? So he's a mature believer. This mm. is not a, a dude that just, just came to faith, right? This is a guy that's walking in the way that is a, a, a known mature believer, uh, highly respected, says, stood beside Paul. I just think that's a great picture of what we're trying to do here at Man Challenge. Uh, men lock, uh, linking arms uh, and standing beside each other, especially um, those of us who are fortunate to have relationship with men who are either coming back to faith or just new to the faith or really, in, as you were talking about earlier, Mason, dark times or tough times. Like, man, we are called to stand with um, mm. our brothers. And if, if we don't show the way who will, mm. right. And I always thought I've, I've said this before, like I, I've always thought the coolest thing about being a rookie, your first big league camp was man. Like, Oh, that's the dude that's been in the league 20 years. Oh, let me, let me see how he does his thing. Right. How's this guy stuck, stuck around here so long? How's he gotten so many hits? How's he hit so many home runs? You know, you get to observe, uh, the guys that are really good at their craft, you get hmm. to rub elbows with them. You get to talk with them. You get to watch them. You get to see them. Uh, and so we have to be available to do that. We got to be vulnerable to do that. We got to be intentional to do that. Uh, and so it's twofold, really, right? Like if you're a young dude in the faith, find a mature believer you can stand next to. Uh, and if you're a guy that's been walking with the Lord uh, for a while now, like, who are you standing next to? Who are you uh, holding up or, or showing the way to? Yeah. Good. So then Sam Ananias goes on to tell Paul, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Um, we talked a little bit last week about repent and be baptized. Can you corroborate? feels like as people come to believe, they're being told to do different things. What, what are we um, whether already walking with the Lord or questioning or curious or maybe interested in becoming a believer, what are we to take from that? That's a good catch. Yeah, I feel like that's a tension to manage as you read through Scripture. All these people who have all these lists of rules to, of things to do, and then you're told you don't have to do anything. It's a free gift. Now go and do this stuff. And you're like, what? And so I, it's a great question. Um, I think just practically what's going on here is Ananias is saying, okay, you know, your stuff, you're real religious, you're real zealous, but now you know who Jesus is. It's time to leave your life, your ideologies, your, your plans behind, and you're going to be the man that he's calling you to be. And so just practically for Paul, I think it's setting aside his old plans and now surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. 
I think for us, it's just real simple of pausing and reflecting and seeing what was I pursuing? And if it wasn't his kingdom, well, if you're going to follow Jesus and he's going to be your Lord, now it's time to repent and turn from that, like we said last week, and, and to surrender to him. So for the men who have not been baptized, uh, Burke did a great job last week of, of detailing that baptism is just a, a public proclamation that Jesus is your Lord and you're surrendering to him. Um, you know, some people, if, it, if they were baptized as a child and they felt like they didn't make that decision as an adult, some people get baptized the second time. And Mason, you did a great job last week of saying there's nothing magical in the waters. It is literally a symbol of our surrendering to the God of the universe. Um, so that might be a helpful thing to kind of kick around in your groups this week, um, just the topic of baptism. Yeah. And kind of to, to, to tie this verse back to um, what we talked about in those first five or six verses, that washing your sins away, calling on his name. Remember, we, we Paul makes clear we can't earn God's love. But what we see here in Paul is he receives the love of God by essentially contrition, repentance, trust, faith. And then, is, as we're going to look in the next couple of verses, is called, is sent to fulfill the purpose that God has given to him. Um, but that calling on his name, we talked about this back in the John series. You, when we pray in Jesus' name, when we talk about the name of the Lord, we are associating with very character. And so when Ananias says, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on God's name, he's saying, uh, Paul, the Lord has obviously called you into relationship with him. You can't earn that love, but he's given it. You can receive it by putting your faith in him, showing the world your faith by baptism and walking with him in relationship. And that, that's the, the beauty of you know, one of the most influential men in history. Mm. Oh, I mean, it, it, he's an author of the best sold book ever. <laughs> he is on every church in the Western hemisphere. I mean, he is absolutely one of the greatest thinkers in history. And he's, he's only important. He only matters. He only lived up to the purpose that God gave him because he was obedient and trusting, putting his faith in the Lord of the universe. So mm. uh, one thing before we move on, though, is Paul, Paul's story seems a little um, supernatural, <laughs> a, little, a little miraculous. And he, he, every story is supernatural when it comes to Jesus intersecting the, the life of someone. Um, but I don't know, guys. Like, I, I wasn't knocked off my donkey, blinded by the light, walked into a city blind, and told a prophecy. I don't know if you guys were. I wasn't. How am I, as a, as a believer, to reconcile this kind of Paul's extreme conversion experience and mine, which maybe seems menial or um, less than? Well, I, I think you already answered it. Number one, get over yourself. God loves Paul more than you. So just you know, <laughs> quit being so selfish. Number two, um, you, you actually said it already. The reality is if we really have a concept of grace, every one of us that have accepted the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life, that is a miracle beyond comprehension. So just because we didn't get kicked off a donkey and blind for a few days, you could argue that maybe that was a good thing. Nice. But, uh, just just because it's not as, you know, maybe you, you weren't at the depths of addiction or on death's doorstep before you found Jesus doesn't mean God loves you any less or that your conversion story is any less miraculous because every single one of them are. 
Yeah, that's a good. And I think seeing that with that lens, that every. Let me just say. Let me just say, if you don't think your conversion story is miraculous, you might need to rethink your concept of you, you as a sinner. Hmm. So those listening on podcast, you're getting a lot of preaching head nods over here. That is absolutely <laughs> true. Um, that's gold. Final verses here. So Ananias has told Paul what to do. He's, he's, he's still talking to the Jews. He actually fast forwards a little bit. It says, when I returned to Jerusalem, so this is an, a pretty significant amount of time has elapsed, uh, and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Snapshot of what happens. Paul is, is brought into the faith and is commissioned by God to, um, to go. He says, leave Jerusalem. And Paul says, well, one second. You remember what I said earlier about being a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was trained by the right people, raised in the right place, know all the right folks, know all the right things, do the right things. This would make a lot of sense if I stuck around and did ministry here, if my purpose was fulfilled in this way. It's um, a not gentle response by the Lord, but a clear one. Go. I'm sending you away to the Gentiles. This would be like having your undergrad, your postgrad, your PhD in mathematics, and your employer saying, hey, we're giving you a job transfer. You're being moved to school counseling. <laughs> not less than. Very, very different. But hey, you do know what my degree's in, right? Sure do. Get out of here. Mm. What, what's beautiful about that is not the, <laughs> maybe the um, direct nature of the Lord, but what we're called to, we talked about last week, a Savior and Lord, even if it doesn't make sense in our tiny little human brains, the Lord of the universe knows what's best for us and is calling us to it. We, our role is to submit and obey. Paul submitted and obeyed and the world came to faith. <laughs> The Gentile world. He is the, the instrument that God used to bring all non-Jews, you and me. If, you, if you're not of Jewish heritage, we are walking with the Lord if you're a believer because of the work God did through the Apostle Paul, even though it didn't make a lick of sense. But he submitted, obeyed, and went. Sam, can you wrap us up? Summarize. We've got a cool little uh, after video here. What's next? Yeah, I would just say that this week we got to take a few minutes to just pause and just see the power of testimony um, from a dude who describes himself as the chief of all sinners, like who sees his own sin as he can't be much worse than me. Um, he's a dude that in Acts 9, you kind of get the long version of his conversion, the long story in Acts chapter 9. Uh, Jesus says this of Paul, that he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. So regardless of what junk was on his ledger, he was chosen and Jesus was going to use him. So uh, praise God that regardless of what he had planned and on his calendar heading to Damascus, Jesus intervened. So we saw that he got unleashed from his old ideologies and his old way of life to the truth and, and, and the grace and redemptive power of Jesus. Um, 
And what's encouraging to me is that that happened about 2000 years ago. And there's still evidence that the same God is at work in the hearts and lives of his people today. Mm -hmm. Uh, So following this in just the next minute or so, you guys are going to get eight or nine minutes of one of our own. His name's Wes Sheffield sharing a little of his story, uh, talking about the difference that Jesus made in his life. And so as you listen to that, I would encourage you men, um, one, to recognize that the same God is active and alive today and is still relational and is still meeting people right in the middle of their mess. Um, Two, maybe pause and reflect if you haven't already and take a look, do some introspection and look at how God has, has helped to weave your own story. And then three, we would encourage you all Take some time and write it down. Uh, Legit, write out your story. Maybe some of you guys have done this a bunch of times, but I'll bet you a bunch of us haven't ever done that. Pause and write that down and and share it. Maybe have some coffee with the guy at your table. Maybe share it with your group, plan some space for that. Um, We're going to send kind of a guide uh, to kind of help walk you through that process out to the table leader. So if you need help in that, we're we're happy to provide that. But we just want to encourage you that there's tremendous power in acknowledging the difference Jesus has made in our lives. In Revelations 12, we see that the enemy is overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Uh, you may not be able to quote a large chunk of scripture, but if you know the difference that Jesus has made in your life, that's enough to start being used by him for his kingdom. You don't stop there. You keep growing every day. We're diving in further, but that's enough to start. So if you can reflect and acknowledge what difference the king of the universe has made in your life, that's a good place to start and sharing with others the good news about what he's done. So if you will take a few minutes, uh, listen to the story from our own Wes Sheffield, and then uh, we'll have some questions to follow. Thanks, guys. What's up, fellas? My name is Wes Sheffield. And I am humbled to be sharing my story with you guys today. It is only by the grace of the Lord that I'm able to do this. So I just appreciate you guys taking a few minutes before the teaching starts to to listen to how the Lord has worked in my life and how the Lord continues to work in my life. So I'll start at the very beginning. I am from Alabama, a little town called Talladega. So for you, for you NASCAR fans, you guys know what I'm talking about. I was... I was raised in church, but I was not raised in Christ. And what I mean by that, guys, is just that it was it was very cultural. I went through the motions as a kid, you know, vacation Bible school and youth groups and that sort of stuff. But I didn't really have any roots. I didn't know who Jesus was. You know, outside of my grandparents telling me that church was important, I didn't really get it. I didn't know how it was supposed to impact my life. So by the time the world came calling, you know, I guess about halfway through high school, was I going to lean on this faith that I didn't really understand or was I going to chase the world just like everyone else? So it was a pretty easy choice for me. And excess quickly became the name of the game. You know, it was just how much can you drink? How much can you smoke? How many girls can you sleep with? That sort of stuff. And it's not that I had fallen away from my faith. It's just that I'm not sure that I ever really had it to begin with. And this behavior persisted all throughout high school, all throughout college. And then two days before I graduated college, I was incredibly drunk. I walk out of a bar, hop in my car. You probably know where this is going. 
Cops light me up a couple of blocks later and I'm arrested. I'm, I'm 22 years old and I got a DUI. A couple of years after that, I'm walking out of a building in downtown Birmingham, Alabama, incredibly intoxicated. I said something to someone. I get blindsided. I wake up hours later in an alley, totally covered in blood. My face is gashed open. My parents came to help me out and I, I get 11 stitches in my face later that day. So I'll tell you guys this, those are some pretty messy stories, but at this point I'd say my life looked pretty good on the outside. I had a couple of dogs, I was engaged to be married, I had a house, I had a job, everything looked kind of nice on the outside, but inside I was completely destroying myself. So 2012 we moved to Louisville and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an adult now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in the big city, I got a real job, I'm making real money, I'm married at this point, everything's gonna be okay, right? Well, in 2013, there was a three-month period where I was completely emotionally unfaithful to my wife. I had a female co-worker, and I was just obsessed with her. And I had an emotional affair on my wife. And my marriage almost didn't survive that. About that time, right after that, I guess, my wife started asking about church. Let's go to church. Let's get plugged into church. And I wanted nothing to do with it. You know, she would get me to go occasionally and I'm just seeing everybody worshiping and singing and I didn't, I didn't get it. I was completely lost. I'm like, what is this place? Get me out of here. What are these people doing? I don't want to ever come back in here ever again. And I was just totally content to leave my mask on, pretend like my marriage was okay, you know, watch porn five days a week and just act like everything was fine. But everything wasn't fine. So in 20, in 2015, I'm in my bed one night, just, I don't know, I'm probably watching YouTube or something, I'm just killing time, and all of a sudden, I got it, just like that, I got it, the Lord opened my eyes, and you know, there was no crying, there was no revival in my bedroom, but it was in that moment, in that instant that the Lord opened my eyes, the Holy Spirit revealed the truth to me, and I finally, I finally got it. There's a moment in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He he had grown completely tired of everything that he thought he wanted. The girls and the parties and the material stuff. He was sick of all of it. And he, he finally gets to this point. The text says in verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, and maybe your Bible translation says, When he came to his senses. But that's exactly what happened to me. I'm sitting in my bedroom and I came to myself. I finally came to my senses because God revealed myself to me and I could finally see my sinful life for what it was. I had been trying to do it my way for all of these years. And if you had asked me if I believed in God, I probably would have said, yes, sure, I believe in God. But you know how, do you know what my belief was? I treated God like a fire extinguisher. I just left him in the corner until I needed him. So that's what faith was to me. I didn't know that I needed to be saved, but in this moment, I finally knew. I finally knew that I needed to be saved. I knew I was broken. I knew I was at the bottom. And when you're at the bottom, there's only one way to look. When you know you need God, that's 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 the moment that you have to be at. Matt Chandler puts it this way. I absolutely love this. What made me love Christ wasn't that all of a sudden I started figuring out how to do life. What made me love Christ is that when I was at my worst, 
when I absolutely could not clean myself up and there was nothing that anyone could do with me, right at that moment, Jesus said, that's the one, that is the one that I want. And I just love that so much. So, so guys, I'll say this to everyone. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 30 minutes or for 30 years, or if you're, maybe you're on the fence about Jesus, or maybe you don't believe in Jesus at all. This is what I know for sure. There is an enemy who wants to destroy you, who is prowling around like a lion. And he wants you to be far, as far from God as possible. He's been using the same tactic this whole time. He presents the most beautiful bait you've ever seen, and he hides the hook. He's been doing it since the beginning. But guys, we serve a mighty, mighty God who has the power to save. We serve a God who has the power to rip a cold, dead heart out of your chest, just like he did me, and replace it with a brand new heart. He'll change the way you think, the way you speak, the way you live your life. He will change everything and you will want nothing more than just to pursue Jesus, to know Jesus, to make Jesus known to other people. And the Lord has used me in some really cool ways. I guess I'll say it this way. The Lord, the Lord has unleashed me in some very, very cool ways. I work with a ministry called Scarlet Hope. I work with the men's ministry at Southeast. I've got two little boys at home, so there's a ministry in my house. And it's just really cool to see the Lord's faithfulness, the Lord's compassion and love towards me but i will say this guys it's it that's not to say that it's always going to be a walk in the park because that's just not how it works my wife and i have had two miscarriages my my grandmother recently passed my my mom died one month ago she fought cancer for a little over a year and guys i was on my face every single night begging god to heal my mom and now she's gone but here's what I know for sure, guys. God never once, he never once promises us that there's not going to be storms. He does promise us that when there are storms, he'll be with us. He'll be right next to us. And that's absolutely true. Something I've tried to run, I've tried to run everything through this filter. You know, this is, this is just kind of a mindset I guess I've had. And it would be really easy for me to, to say, why, God? Why are you doing this? But this is what I've tried to run everything through, and, and it's this. How can I glorify God now? So if you've, if you've just lost your mom, like me, if you've lost your job, or if your kid is sick, or if, guys, even if you just get cut off in traffic, how can I glorify God now? God is full of love. He's full of mercy and grace and compassion. And I am absolutely certain that he is who he says he is, guys, because I was dead. You heard the story. I was dead and now I'm alive and I can sit in front of you right now, born again, because the grave is empty and the gospel is true. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.